0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast. Episode number 45, all about the autos. We're going to do a rapid-fire auto episode with one Hanny McMood because, you know, him and Daryl were tied for uh, first place on number of guest hostings, so we're going to put Hanny in the lead briefly. Uh, <laughs> all right episode 45 i'm your host brian eastridge welcome to the podcast part of the concealed carry.com podcast network the off-duty on-duty talk to- <laughs> sorry guys the off-duty on-duty podcast we take topics relevant to today's gun owners we're going to tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and the perspective of on-duty law enforcement officers giving you both angles of discussion in case i didn't make it clear enough in the pre-show uh, I'm going to be joined by Hanny again, and we're going to talk all about the autos. What's our favorite? Uh, what's our favorite caliber? What's our favorite, you know, pocket gun, concealed carry hunting gun? You name it. We're just going to go there. Uh, and it's going to be kind of like two cops take on our uh, favorite semi-autos. Word from our sponsors. Check out Excess Sites, title sponsor of the podcast at XSSites.com. Uh tritium and photoluminescent does it get any better than that all right Excess sites check them out in the links and they'll also be at the guardian conference coming up here real fast also brought to you by ccw safe at ccwsafe.com a legal service membership for concealed carriers and law enforcement officers the most comprehensive coverage by the most experienced team go look up the steven maddox case out of north carolina and you'll see why i love these guys so much and gals I. Inner code OFFDUTY10 at checkout. That'll get you 10% off your membership. Of course, EDC Belt Company, the foundation belt, best concealed carry belt out there for, uh, you know, us that are not toting battle belts under our T-shirt. Uh, the most comfortable functional belt on the market. Check it out at EDCBeltCo.com. Reminder, Guardian Conference is right around the corner. Links in the show notes. Be there. I'll be teaching Hanny will be teaching Chuck Haggard. He'll be teaching, uh, Larry Vickers, Jeff Gonzalez, Matt Little, Riley Bowman. The list goes on Todd Fossey, Brian McLaughlin. Uh, I think Sam Middlebrook, man, it's just going to be an all you can eat buffet of how to shoot and, uh, you know, how to defend yourself. So come on out to the guardian conference in Oklahoma city, September 17th, 18th, 19th of this year right around the corner. Michael Burgess will be there in my bay if you've heard him on the podcast before from MS Range Therapy. We're going to be using a target that he and I put our noodles together and designed, so it'll be real, real good time. Uh, and it's right around the corner. So uh, last but not least, of course, the Concealed Carry podcast giveaway. Last week's winner was... Oh, i got to look through my show notes. Tom C., and he won that, that, uh, palm pepper spray. You got to sign up every week. The more you sign up, the better your chances. Next week, they're giving away a handgun cleaning kit from Ready Up Gear. And I got the chance to get my hands on one of those, uh, just recently. And if you don't win it, go check out ReadyUpGear.com and buy it. It is, uh, it's a great little kit to throw in your range bag and, uh, If you're like me, you don't clean guns at home after you left the range. You clean them right before you go shoot. You go make sure your gun works, run 50, 60 rounds through it, put it, you know, certify it, make sure it's working. Uh, Jacob and I, you know, we we addressed that in a podcast uh, earlier in the week. You know, I'm not a big proponent of taking apart my gun when I know that it works. So all that to say, let's get started with Hanny. And the rapid fire, well, we're not going to call it rapid fire. We're going to call it all things auto. And it's just going to be like a back and forth as fast as we can go. So kind of like we did with the revolver. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And welcome back, Hanny. You and Daryl DB bulky are now again tied for guest hostings. Um, And unfortunately, uh, Tim Chandler couldn't join me tonight. We were going to do a shotgun episode and he's going to be on, I think the next one, number 46. And I thought what more, uh, of an appropriate episode number than episode 45 for my bro Hanny. That is a lover of the 45, which inspired the next thought of let's talk about all things auto because you and I, as as people well know now, we have an affinity for the, for all things wheel gun. And we have, you know, an affinity for autos of, uh, how would you say, obscure caliber. 38 Super 9 by 23 and nowadays 45 auto, which is odd that we would be saying that's obscure. But let's face it, 9mm kind of rules the day in our profession now. So let's talk all things yeah let's talk all things auto so i'm gonna just i'm gonna rattle off a question and uh your your only obligation is to answer it how and i'll do my best
1: okay but i i i need one question answered first yes Are, are we tied after am i tied with daryl after this podcast or am i tied at this moment
0: no, you're tired. As soon as this one so goes live, you all.
1: Is, will I be ahead?
0: Yeah, I think you're actually ahead. This one will put you ahead by one.
1: Okay, good. Then I'm good. All right, then. Because I think. I'm ready, then.
0: he He's at four, <laughs> you're at four, and this will put you at five. So, uh, And then I've got, uh, in the next few weeks, I've got Tim Chandler coming on. We're going to talk scatterguns. So I know you, you and Derek
1: topic and very, very, uh, uh, underrated in, in this current generation and really experiencing a resurgence in the training world. So good choice.
0: Well, the other, the other part of that is I know that you and you and DB will hear something on the podcast and go, Ooh, I want to talk about that part of that. So Tim Chandler, wherever you are. Tonight, uh, you're going to open the door for some more podcasts. That's basically the way I look at it. But uh, uh, yeah, so all about autos. When I came into police work, I know this sounds crazy, but 2002, Mm
1: -hmm. uh,
0: they had only been issuing semi-automatic pistols for, uh, I think, 11 or 12 years my agency had everything before that was model 65s and ruger security sixes for those that didn't have the trigger reach to get on you know to be uh efficient with Mm -hmm. a 65 the the security six you know same speed loaders a little shorter trigger reach and a little shorter trigger stroke so uh and then along came the glock 17 so knowing that about police work What is your favorite semi-auto that you've ever carried as a duty gun? Yeah. I'm trying to stay away from the Guantanamo questions.
1: Look, this is not far. This is like Marion, Illinois, like, you know, federal prison questions. It's not quite Guantanamo, but, you know, it's close. Okay. Uh, Favorite auto that I've ever carried? Well, I you know what I'm not gonna just uh, make this because it's episode 45, but my favorite auto that I've ever carried and still carry uh, regularly is a is a Richard Heine, uh five inch government model in 45, and it's a rather it's a more plain one. It's what he called his PD package.
0: Yeah, I remember was, those. You know,
1: yeah, yeah. It was and, like, uh, and matter of fact, but.
0: I was going to say it it was like four and a half pound trigger, good duty sights, everything built rock solid beaver tail, nothing. I won't say nothing out of the ordinary. It was just a really high quality fit gun on your, your base gun. And
1: and his, and his PD package kind of changed over the years. So mine was like the last generation of when he was still building. And so mine has a serrated front strap instead of checkered. Yeah. And I have become a fan because the way he did the serrations, they weren't decorative. They actually give you a grip. Yes. Um, uh, No flat topping, no serrations, whatever. It's uh, Heine Sights, uh, uh, well-fit Nolan barrel, uh, you know, premium trigger parts, uh, serrations, and then, you know, everything hums and... um, And matter of fact, if anyone can find the picture, uh, it was the picture that what it was, the gun that was on his website that was like, this is the PD package. It's actually that pistol.
0: Oh, wow. Very cool.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I, I carried it. Uh, I carried it, uh, a lot. Uh, I carried it more often than a Glock when I was not in uniform and, um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's probably it's probably at the forty thousand round mark now, close somewhere between thirty and forty. Yeah, that's the one that sings to my soul, and I shoot it very very well, and uh, that that is probably my favorite of of all. Of them.
0: Yeah, so mine would be, and this some of you may find this a bit strange, but I had a West German P two twenty, and it's mm-hmm. still. I still own it, although uh, a dear friend of mine who I actually uh it, you know, he's got the reloading shop and all this, and he's not a podcast guy, so but he and my dad bought these two twenties at the same time, and I got my dad's old two twenty that he carried when he was mm-hmm. in narcotics and they had approved forty fives. And right before my buddy retired he calls me and he goes hey we're having this uniform inspection the only leather gear i have is for a 220 sig can i borrow yours because i've got mags and all that other and i just don't have yeah. my 220 anymore and i said yeah sure and that was in 2004 or 5 and i haven't seen the gun since and that's okay uh <laughs> No, actually, I'm sorry. That was 2011. It was the 10-year anniversary of 9-11. They made all the detectives in plain clothes show up in, like, full uniform. And he right. was like, eh, I'm a little shy on full uniform gun. So so I spotted him that gun, and uh, here we are 10 years later, and he still has it. So at some point, I'll see it again. But, yeah, that was probably my favorite of all time duty gun because it was... it it had some, uh, some lineage, so to speak. You know, my, my Uh dad had been in several fights with it and, uh, I, I still am. I look at that gun rather fondly. So, okay. Moving on in the realm of semi autos, what was the first semi auto you purchased?
1: Oh, Glock 17, uh, second gen. And, uh, uh, The first part of the serial number was two letters. It was YN, and and then I know the other digits. So it was it was a um, fairly early uh, second gen. Uh, Five digit probably. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. It was. Uh, It would be nineteen ninety. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So Uh, that was my first semi-auto.
0: My first semi-auto. And this will, uh, th- this will blow your mind. The first semi-auto I ever purchased was a Springfield Linkless, if anybody is looking through their I history do books.
1: 40? 10 millimeter, It uh, was in 10
0: millimeter. It was yeah, what, they, what they called the Linkless, and that gun ended yeah. up in a lawsuit. Because of the Springfield Omegas and the designer of that, they basically use the same recoil system. Mm -hmm. And my dad still has that gun. We've done some custom work to it over the years. But it was basically, it looked like a GI Springfield. uh, And it was in 10 millimeter. And that was the first gun I bought shortly after my 21st birthday when I had all my Ranger school money saved up. And I bought that gun. And uh, luckily... I think he had either Heine or somebody put a set of sights on it and do it. Ch- and EGW did a checkering job. You can, uh, if you go back in history at one yeah. time, George at EGW would put on eBay a service and it would be sites, checkering, whatever it was. And you would bid on it. And he did several guns that way. He would bid on them on eBay. And this is in the <laughs> prehistoric eBay. And he sent that gun to have, uh, I think it's 30 LPI checkering done. Mm -hmm. And it's been in various incarnations, but it stayed in the family. And then I've taken it on and done some work. And I haven't seen that gun in a while. And I've kept the linkless barrel and guide rod system just as kind of a nostalgia piece. Uh, But I I did fit a, I want to say it was a cart national match 10.0. Five inch, ten millimeter barrel to that gun, so that was the first semi-auto I bought. That's a question
1: I've always had. You could, you could on the linkless, you could you could turn it into a regular one.
0: You can the the linkless system. If you go back in that that era, Uh um, H and K used a very similar guide rod system, and basically where the barrel link would be, the guide rod had a hole in it. And it had a lug on top yeah. of it that made it up with the lug in the barrel, so it it essentially acted like a modern, uh, the modern Browning recoil system, which is you know you find yeah, in Sig yeah, yeah. and all these other things, uh, where and
1: kind of in a Browning high power too.
0: Yes, very similar, uh, but yeah. the hole you put the the slide stop through was actually in the guide rod, and it was a one piece guide rod and. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about 1911s back then. I was just kind of getting into it. And uh, so, yeah, you could, you could absolutely put a, a a regular barrel in it. There was very, you just had to put a standard recoil system back in it. So, uh, cool gun. The reason
1: I asked that little bit of minutiae is because, uh, Briley Gunworks, uh, the great gunsmith there, Claudio Salasa, Mm -hmm. uh, he, he did the same, uh, on, uh, you know, 2011 you know, on the, you know, you know, 40 caliber for limited and so on. And he had a system that was a linkless system. And the thing is, I'm told that you, you can't change it. Like it, that, it has to have another barrel just like that. Yeah, that was uh, the 2011. His is it was probably different. different. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's very cool. I I, I would not have guessed that uh, given many, many guesses.
0: They, they only made that, that line of guns for about two years and then some litigation ensued. So, yeah, I think Um,
1: they made some in 42, but
0: they did, they made it in 40, 38, super 10 millimeter. And I want to say there was a handful of 45s out there, but I never, uh, I remember seeing the 40, the 10 millimeter and the 38 super in the case, like lined up Mm -hmm. together and at that time I was, I say at that time, I I still am. Uh, I was just geeked out over the 10 millimeter and I actually bought a couple of boxes of the original normal loaded 10 millimeter. There was 210 grain at some unholy speed and, uh, way too hot to shoot in that gun. But, uh, but I I bought that because it had sat on their shelves for years, and I think I bought it for like fifteen dollars a box. If I may
1: ask, yeah, uh, grain box, right? The what? The 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 the, the box that it came in was a long uh, box that was two rows of ten, and like the the you know the cardboard had this wood grain yes look to it.
0: Yep. That was the one, <laughs> yeah I
1: have something so I had some of that
0: i, I bought them and and in those days, uh I think I paid fifteen dollars for a box of twenty, and at the time, mm-hmm. nine millimeter was about four ninety nine a box, so of fifty so uh, and then shortly thereafter, I bought a a, a Lou horton package forty five but but that was my first my first venture into the semi-auto was with a 10 millimeter of all things, uh, which is still around and someday I'll finish that one. So if my dad listens to this podcast, I'll, I'll make time and I'll come over and finish the custom work, uh, uh, which I tell people I am a retired 45 or I'm sorry, I'm a retired 1911 gunsmith, which retired means I only mess with it if I want to. Um, let's see moving along Uh, What's the most unique semi-auto you've ever owned?
1: Okay, that's going to take a minute.
0: Unique. Well, I do the editing, so take all the minutes you need.
1: Well, I'd like to say that it was a Spanish unique, but no. (laughs) Um, Okay, most unique semi-auto. Okay, uh okay, for me I had a um, an HK P9S in nine mm.
0: P9S. You're talking about the Star Wars okay. blaster looking gun, right? Uh real long not, trigger. Not,
1: not the really not the real no, not the not the goofy vp 7 V Z or whatever. It was a single stack and, um, oh. it was actually issued by, it was actually issued by like one or two federal departments that were like, you know, federal game wardens and stuff. It was very odd. Oh, you're uh, talking about the, the early the squeeze
0: cocker. It was
1: the squeeze. No, cocker? no, no, no. no. Did, did, did I find a pistol? You don't know about,
0: uh, it's the nomenclature
1: H and K P nine And so it was a single stack. They made it in nine and forty-five, and it had a very interesting manual of arms. Which I understand why it didn't take off because when, once you uh, once you uh, you know put a, put a put a mag in and rack the slide, now you have a round in the chamber. Okay. Okay. So if you left it like that, it was essentially a single action trigger. Okay. Now, okay. if you wanted to decock it, it had a decocker on the side of the frame, just like a SIG, except what you had to do is push that down. And then you have to pull the trigger.
0: Yes. Now I remember and the And then gun. let
1: the lever up. There you go. And yeah. obviously that, that, that turned into issues for lots of people, but they were superbly accurate. And, um, uh, very interesting. Gun. Uh, that, that's the most unique one I've ever had.
0: Yeah. And I think, uh, this is going to sound weird but the most unique pistol I ever had was a Smith & Wesson 457. So imagine a chopped okay. 4506, a 4506 yep. that had been cut down to like Colt Commander size. Think uh yeah. yeah. Sig P245, which is uh yeah. the predecessor to the 220 compact. I had that in in uh, Smith & Wesson, it was an 8 uh seven round gun had six round Uh magazines and it came through the gun shop and I picked it up and I shot it and the gun was superbly accurate. Yeah. And right after that, I mean, I'm talking weeks after I bought that gun, uh, our range master says, Hey, Smith and Wesson just discontinued third generation Smith parts support and everything else. And I sold it. And uh, I loved it because it was a hammerless, or I say hammerless, it was a bobbed hammer 45, yeah, yeah. just like a chopped down 4506. And this will tickle you even more. I had a Galco small of the back holster for it.
1: <laughs> well, you know, if, you go, if you're if you going to go retro at that time, or which wouldn't have been retro, do it right. Do a small of the back. This, yeah, the, this was um, 2004. The yeah, the 457. Uh, was part of uh, a line of three guns that Smith and Wesson made that were third gens, but of course they were losing money on them, so they tried to make them cheaper, economize the machining, so like the uh, dust cover looked different. Um, it had a single sided safety and so on. Yeah, and so in forty five, they made the four fifty seven, which was a low end forty five sixteen. Yep, and then they made the nine ten and nine fifteen, which were basically their discounted fifty nine oh six and forty oh six. Yeah,
0: essentially, so it was part of
1: it was part of a line. Yeah, and then and that was kind of like their last hurrah, with 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 a couple of exceptions. Um, uh, for for another few years, Smith would make. Uh, third gen Smiths if they got a big order and the last one I'm familiar with is I think it was, it was a, uh, Virginia but I'm almost sure it was West Virginia State Police they wanted a 4566 but melanited black and they ordered enough guns that Smith made them and that's the last that I know that Smith made a run of third gen
0: yeah and there were a lot of people like knocked the third gen stuff but i got to tell you especially shooting ppc when the ppc9 was king um yeah it, it, it was essentially a 5906 uh, long yeah. slide with 10 or i think it had 10 round magazines or 6 round magazines um you know, it was just a supremely accurate pistol.
1: Yeah, and I still kick myself because um, I had the option to buy one for twelve hundred bucks. Oh, uh, and and Smith, when they were still making them near the end, uh, they would they would only sell to law enforcement because the only mark. It was it was obviously, as you said, just for PPC. And I thought about it. And I went back and forth. And I was like, Yeah, I don't really need it
0: and they made a ppc9d which was a five inch distinguished mm-hmm. model and uh, I was actually I will tell this story and I will I will withhold the names to protect those uh, that are innocent but I was on the line at the nationals in the two, in 2006 and a another shooter from Oklahoma had just picked up a ppc9 now granted oh. these did not have a decocker right? They were single action only, but they did have a safety. The safety worked exactly the opposite of a 1911. You pulled it down. It was on, you flicked it up. It was, it was off and he had not learned the manual of arms with this gun. And so there's me, there's another shooter that's on my team. And there's this gentleman and I look over and he was, He had one of the Hogue power speed holsters, which if you remember, they had a little T-bar behind kind of on the, uh, uh, the, the, like the body side of the, of it would be in between the, the pistol grip and the body. And it had two little claws that came in and grabbed the trigger guard.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, very fast holster, very secure. When you would holster, you would actually pull those. You'd reach through with your, your firing grip and pull that little T handle up and it would lock the gun in place. And I think there was a magnet in it. Uh, but I look over and I notice that he's, you know, gun single action. We load and holster and he's flipping the safety into the up position because he was a 1911 guy. No.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I, I look at him and I go, Hey man, um, just to let you know, you have to thumb the lever down. And he goes, Oh yeah, I'm trying to figure this gun out. And it wasn't two minutes later that they say load and holster and I, it, we all load and we go for our, we were shooting Safari land double 12s back then, which was kind of an IPSC mm-hmm. holster, but it had a little nub that went in the muzzle and, and, uh, purely competition holster. And I hear pow. And I look yeah. over and the, the guy next to me in between me and this guy is dancing like, and he's right. got a hold of his side and he's going, ow wow. ow and, so we we call ceasefire, and I run over there and look, and there are lead striations on this guy's shirt. And as I and the shirt's kind of like in his, I hate to say fat roll, but it was just above the 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 right hip. And I pull, and like half of a one forty seven grain bullet pops out. And I go, oh no! <laughs> and and we all like gather around the guy. And the next thing I know, the dude is on a gurney getting it if you've ever seen a gunshot wound, a lot of times they will, they will probe it, meaning they will put a metal rod in there and drive it to the end of the wound channel to see if there's any debris in there. So they have it open and he's squealing and the guy next to him is going, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. And, uh, yeah, so there was an AD and a friend of mine was shot with a piece of frag, which happened to be about, I, I don't know what half of 147 is, but but it's a pretty substantial number for, uh, and oddly enough, you know, there was a barricade. It just, it glanced off the concrete and shot almost 90 degrees into my buddy's side there, just above the grip of his gun. And, uh, so that was my last experience with one of those. And, uh, consequently somebody didn't get to compete in the nationals that year in autos anyway. But, uh, but yeah, to that point, if you are going to carry an obscure gun, at least learn the manual of arms. Uh, yeah. Luckily, that was the only injury. It was just a. It was a pretty minor. Uh, I say minor. He stuck about half his yeah. pinky into the wound channel, but uh, but in all things ballistic related, it was a pretty minor injury. So, okay. So let's see. We've covered first gun, obscure favorite duty gun. Um, let's look at what is your favorite obscure caliber of semi-auto?
1: Hmm. In semi-auto. Okay. Give me a second. Um, okay. Um, so there's two ways to answer this theoretical or ones I've actually had.
0: Ones you've actually with
1: The ones I've actually had. I'm going to go with that. I'd say nine by 23. Good one. Yeah. Uh, 45 super is a, a good number too, okay. but, uh, nine by 23, uh, is very interesting. It really is. And, and a 1911 can handle it and handle it well. if set up right. And, um, and it doesn't beat the gun to death. If it, again, if it's set up right and so on. So, I've had one, and I'm likely to have another.
0: Yeah. I actually uh, spent a couple of days up at Nallen Manufacturing. As you know, John Nallen Sr. was kind of the driving force behind the 9x23, which is essentially a 38 super long with a fully rimless like a 45. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I think that from what i understand and i talked to some people that were there firsthand when that that released is he essentially wanted to make a 357 magnum semi-auto and without testing the limits of a semi-rim 38 super right. and a major manufacturer that they contracted for the loading once he did the load development put it out and it was essentially somewhere loaded in the neighborhood of 38 special And it really tanked that cartridge from ever taking off because it was really meant to be 357 mag to run in a, in a single stack 1911. And as we all know, and the 1911 platform was made to run in the case overall length of a 45 ACP and it matched it to like the micrometer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they were getting some really impressive performance out of it. And then I won't mention the ammo company dropped the factory ammo and really dropped the ball. And, and consequently that, that round kind of faded into, uh, the annals of obscure cartridge. Although if you look at a lot of the open gun shooters from the early two thousands, they were essentially loading nine by 23. They just called it something else. Um,
1: well, there were several names for it based on um, – so, for instance, there is a uh, 38 Super Comp.
0: Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to say it, but you did.
1: <laughs> kind of, okay. You know, uh, there is a uh, – there's actually a 38 TJ, which is uh, Todd Jarrett's version. Um, and and then the only difference between them is that a Super Case outside of the rim, a Super Case is – uh, has no taper the nine by twenty three family has a taper in it like a nine millimeter that's the difference
0: oh see i thought and it was the other way around
1: no no a, a super is 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 cylindrical and uh you know if you ever like measure like the base of a nine millimeter versus you know uh, you know up at the top it, it, just like 45 most people think it's a straight walled case even a 45 has a slight taper and um, that's the difference. And to give credit where credit is due, the guy who developed it is a gentleman by the name of uh, John Rico, and um, and and uh, he developed it. But he, I mean, to him, it was it was strictly for competition, Ipsyk, and so on. And so, when the uh, uh, non mentioned ammo company decided to, you know, uh, submit it to Sammy, make it a factory cartridge, and so on, they ended up having to pay that. Guy.
0: Yeah, and oh, the the two days that I spent up at in Manufacturing when it was up in uh, Claremore, uh-huh. uh, they had an indoor bunker gun range that was essentially a, a, a storage container that had uh, kind of the old air rifle, like you pinned a target on a clothespin and pulled the lever, and there were... <laughs> like two wheels you know it was very archaic but and they had this thing sound insulated with foam and all this stuff and they had a ransom rest in there and i think it was 20 yards long uh and their head gunsmith at the at the time was a guy i still keep in touch with named terry bowler and terry was working Uh, You know
1: what uh uh, i I know that name and i know he's a talented gunsmith and uh, very
0: he's into airplanes now
1: Okay, he, I, I I've always wondered where that guy went.
0: He's uh he's built airplanes for like Chip McCormick and several other people. That uh, I'm talking high performance racing aircraft. And,
1: and, and may 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 Chip rest in peace. Since he yeah, exactly.
0: 85. Yeah. Matter of fact, the last time I talked to Terry, we were actually trying to figure out how to coordinate a trip where i was going to drive down and terry was going to fly an experimental racing aircraft down to uh chip that he had purchased some yeah. years ago uh but either way terry had a yeah. had a gun on the cover of of i think it was handguns magazine that he had uh, not blued or hard chromed
1: Oh, I remember. He he, hit it with heat, didn't
0: he? Yeah, it was a map torch, and he was dropping it in (laughs) 30-weight oil. He'd get it hot, and he'd drop it in 30-weight oil, and it made this really unique pattern. And he chambered it, I think, in 9x23. And I Uh, actually got to see that gun while it was being built. And like three, four years later, after he'd left Nallin, it showed up on the cover of a magazine.
1: Look, dude, you, you need to ask your dad if he ever had like a, you know, like a, a way stop in Libya in the late sixties. Because (laughs) (laughs) the stuff that you and I like happened to know together, it it defies any logic.
0: Right. Well,
1: okay. I'm just gonna leave it at that. All right, moving on.
0: Well, that, that gun, (laughs) speaking of that gun, Terry was a reserve for Claremore PD back then. And I said, well, what are you Uh carrying? And he, he like, flips his coat backwards and it was kind of chilly in the bunker and he sets down this nine by 23 this five inch nine by 23 on a lightweight frame that he had built Mm -hmm. and he had built their entire tactical unit this same gun and uh Mm -hmm. he throws a b8 down in the target pit and he opens this cabinet and there is just mountains of ammunition in it and he goes We'll give it a world, son. You know, like, so I sit in there and shoot this nine by 23. I put like a hundred rounds through it. It all started with a phone call, but, but that's a story for another wow. time. Uh, but yeah, I actually very, got, very cool. I'll, when we go offline, I'll tell you about a very, very, uh, large and popular company's uh, submission for a gun article. And it's kind of comical, but anyway, um, so moving on from that with nine by 23, uh, my most ob- oh, uh, how
1: about twenty three? Um,
0: but I lost you. Uh,
1: the one thing I'll say is the the uh, um, you know, sometimes people. You still got me? Yeah, I got you now. Okay. Uh, the thing is, is some people, um, like uh, don't. It, it's almost like uh, going to Disneyland and you get to see Mickey without his helmet on, having a smoke out back. Okay, that's like the gun industry. Yeah. It's like the, sometimes you. <laughs> And uh, sometimes you, you know, stuff and whatever that other people just don't have access to. And, and a lot of things drive a lot of different things. And the thing is, is that when back, uh, uh, back when I, you know, seriously, well, at least I thought I was serious about shooting IPSC, the power factor was 175. I remember that, uh, you know, right. You know, bullet weight types, velocity, whatever. Right. Okay.
0: 175,000.
1: Yes. Yeah. 175,000. Right. And the thing was, is that at the time they banned nine millimeter because you really had to push it. Uh, um, to, to make a regular nine by 19 make 175. And that's why the nine by 21 came out, which was essentially the exact same pressure level. But it, it was a different case. But what happened is over time, um, uh, and Rob Latham was one of the one of the primary forces behind. Remember the nine by twenty five Dillon? That was going to
0: be my submission for the most obscure caliber I've ever uh, owned. Yes,
1: I once upon a time. Was is the deal? Was uh, it's a ten millimeter case neck down to nine, and and. I remember shooting IPSC and you could be four bays over and you could hear a, a, uh, a nine by 25 going off. And I remember reading uh, something that Rob Latham wrote. And he goes, you got to be careful what powders you use because otherwise the gun recoils down. <laughs> yeah. Because the, the couple like will 11, push it down. Yeah. Right. Push it down. And, and then, uh, over time, they realized, well, we don't need quite that much powder capacity. And then uh, Ipsic changed the, I, I don't know if they changed it to 171st, but now it's 165. Yeah. So a lot of guys that shot supers and 9 by 23s and whatever, they rebarreled them to 9mm. Because it's not that hard to hit with a 165 power factor. And that's kind of, sometimes that's what drives other things, um, you know, and so on. Um,
0: yeah, so I had a a, a pistol chambered in nine by twenty five Dillon, and it had a secondary barrel that was four hundred Corbon. Yeah. Oh
1: God! If y'all remember
0: yeah. that one, so that was Indeed. a that was a that was a unique time in my life, and it was very brief.
1: Uh, <laughs> all right. Mine wasn't brief enough, um, because as you know, I've now had both elbows repaired. Yeah, because I used to shoot stuff like that. And, uh, the one was done seven years ago or eight, eight years ago and one was done, um, five months ago, you know, where the, the tendon just goes, yeah, I'm done. Yep. And yep.
0: this is why, you know, I was out shooting my new G 45 the other day. And, uh, mm-hmm. this is why my practice sessions are usually 60 rounds because, uh, I had mine and I had mine scanned last year, or the year before. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about, man, we're going to have to like MRI guided cortisone shoot that sucker. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just pump the brakes on this shooting thing. And I was shooting 99% Beretta 92s with Mm -hmm. full power factory, factory ammo, uh, and just punishing that thing. And and my range sessions were getting, getting kind of kooky. So yeah thankfully due to the ammo and material shortage and ammo price hike it saved me from having my elbow redone so uh and now i'm rehabbed enough you know i can go shoot 100 150 rounds and it's not debilitating anymore so yeah let's see we've covered man we've covered a lot of ground um it happens if they, <laughs> and, and we didn't even get into obscure cartridges with the revolver but uh
1: uh, if- I'll tell you what, I'll I'll, I'll I'll tell you, like, the most obscure cartridge that, like, uh, I have very little respect for. So early on in my career, as you know, I became a firearms instructor very early on in my career due to the nature of the age. Yep. A guy used to shoot a tanfolio. Uh, remember back when you could do the kit and turn it into a 41AE? Oh, yeah. Okay. So this guy, he is a chief deputy. Long since retired now. And I was like, uh, uh, he goes, hey, uh, do you have ammo for me? They go, okay, what caliber? He goes, 41. I go, I I don't stock any 41 mag, but okay, let me see if I can. He goes, no, 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 no. Do you not know about an auto 41? I go, a 41 AE? And the guy goes, "Uh, yeah. I go, no, I'm familiar with it. But this was probably about the year 2000. I go, but uh, yeah, there's no way I can get you ammo for that. He's like, "Well, that's okay. I got a few cases." And my first question was, "Sir, is that is that pistol reliable? Never had a problem." Which to me is like the kiss of death. That's like getting a tattoo of your girlfriend's name on your body. Oh no, it's the kiss of death, right? So we go to Qual. He shoots, and it doesn't make it through one magazine like yeah i must be bad luck there's a reason why this cartridge does not have a good reputation yeah and but i'm glad that one died you know and just died
0: yeah the that one i i've seen a few desert eagles chambered in that one but uh the probably the cartridge that i have walked away from and okay. that I spent the bulk of my youth in police work was was the forty Smith and Wesson, and a lot of people bag okay. on that one today. But when I hired into police work, you know, you got to think the ammo wasn't as good back then, the guns were not as good back then. I mean, we're mm-hmm. really in a golden era right now, and we are. The forty Smith and Wesson ruled the day. And the people that are kind of naysayers that I, and I hear this a lot. Oh, anybody carry a 40. And I'm like, well, you know, 20 years ago when I got into cop work, uh, the nine millimeter ammo out there wasn't very good. And the 45 ACP ammo out there, it was like they were drilling holes in hardball. You know, it was, it was okay. Uh, and the 40 was really the first thing that kind of pushed the envelope as far as, you know, bullet performance and it was really the first cartridge i see widespread that was a you know people were using bonded ammo in and i think it was rooted in necessity because all the cops i knew were carrying 40s so i think the ammo companies and everybody else were really driving that innovation on bullet technology and powder and yeah uh for the 40 so consequently all the
1: above is true yeah
0: yeah, consequently, the first fourteen years of my career I toted a Forty Smith and Wesson, and now yeah. you couldn't give me one. Uh I'm well, okay. Well, you could give I, me I one, have, but
1: I have I have two of them. Okay. And I use them as ammo disposal devices. Yeah.
0: And right? I, I still have the I have ammo cans full of the zombie apocalypse ammo. 40 yeah. Smith and Wesson, just tons of it. Uh, and I only have one 40 Smith and Wesson. It's a Sig 226R and I've, I carried it for yeah. years. Uh, the gun still yeah. shoots. It's still a great pistol, not a high round yeah. count gun and a lot surprises a lot of people, but yeah. I always, yeah, the, yeah. the guns I carried on duty, I didn't shoot a whole lot. I had a, a whole lot of, uh, other platforms or similar guns and, for that gun, I had a two twenty nine that I carried off work, so that one got the bulk of the ammunition burned yeah. through it, and the, the two twenty six just ended up being, I would say, high round count for the average citizen, but yeah. not, I want to say it's probably got less than 15,000 through it after, you know, yeah. after, golly, let me see, 14
1: years of carrying it, so... Well, um, the quick thing I'll say is what, you, what what you were saying about forty versus nine is that even twenty and twenty two years ago, there was a very good nine millimeter ammo. The problem was is you had to be selective. Yeah, there was good, there was good ammo out there, but you had to be selective. And and what what people kind of don't realize is with agencies, there's a lot of agencies that they buy by the lowest bidder. They buy by whatever. And over 20 years ago, there was a lot of nine millimeter that they just did not perform well. And they had a lot of flaws. Now, when I got on the job, uh, we, we issued like four different calibers, but the issue load in nine was 127 Ranger plus P plus. Ooh. right. So yeah. there were no flies on that thing. Okay. Yeah. But, Different agencies, they'd go, whatever. Oh, what is it? Oh, we're going 147 HydroShock this year. Okay, we're going 147 HydroShock this year or whatever. And the difference between nine and 40 20 or over 20 years ago was that, dude, if you bought Remington Golden Saber or if you bought Ranger or if you bought whatever in 40, they all acted pretty much the same. And that was not true of nine millimeters. Yeah. And, and that was the thing is that if, if, more agencies had the ability to be more selective um, you know the 40 would not have been as popular but the 40 what was a very good solution in the sense that um, the technology had advanced and the factories were really pushing it and almost all of them acted almost the same
0: yeah I never felt like uh, you know with agency ammo purchases that the 40 was that substantially different and no. The nine it, millimeter, it, it, man, it was. There yeah. was a time it was all over the map, and absolutely. And, and I get that, you know, but nowadays I don't see the disparity that I saw almost twenty years ago with nine millimeter ammo. Uh, okay. Even up until ten years ago, and I, and what I mean by disparity is four inch service gun, four to five mm-hmm. inch service gun. And having a reasonably predictable performance out of that cartridge was still pretty varied going back ten years ago. Yeah. In the last five years, Matt, you any of the major manufacturers yeah, with the with their defensive load, you can you can pretty well predict that they're gonna be yeah. um, on par. You know what I mean? There's yeah. not going to be huge disparities between them, which is where the forty was at twenty years ago. So exactly. Well, any final thoughts for uh, everything auto or all about the auto?
1: I tell you what, I actually have a, a thought that is not actually scattered, which with, with me, you know, is rare. I'm going to write it thing. down. I carry, I carry, I carry different calibers in autos, but it's based on the platform. It's not, I don't carry a 45 when I carry a 45 because I'm convinced that it's going to do this thing that this other thing can't do. It's, it's because there's this, you know, certain pistols that I love, uh, they're set up perfectly for me. They shoot, you know, extraordinarily well and so on. Right. And so it's based on the platform. And so if I, if I want to be carrying a 1911, I generally carry a 45. Right. Because that's what it's meant to be. If I carry a Glock, which again, it's, it's, it's probably 65 or 35 Glock in 1911. And the Glock is the bigger number because, you know, I'm mostly a full-time instructor Um, in Glock. I don't do 257 Sig. I don't do you know 45 GAP. I don't do 45. I don't do four. I shoot nine because that's what the Glocks are at best. Yeah. Uh, In 1911s, you know, it's like these are the calibers that run well. They were meant to run them, and so on. So that's why I carry different calibers. It's because of the platform. And and so sometimes I see a dude going. Dude, I got a custom made 357 SIG 1911. It's like, it can be done. It can be done. But the feeding issues, like, you know, it's a short case, it, it's a neck down case. There's all kinds of problems there in terms of making it feed and so on. Why are you going there? Right. So there has to be a compatibility between the caliber and the platform. So when a guy goes, oh, I, you know, all I carry is 45s. Well, you know, well, what do you carry? Well, I carry 1911s. Well, hell, that's a good choice then, you know? Yeah. See what I mean?
0: Yeah, uh, and, I, and I
1: completely and, agree. And, and, and you know, that, that's the way I look at it. Um, other than the fact that I, I just like experimenting with different things. But uh, th- there's incompatibilities between calibers and platforms. So when a person has a preference for a caliber, it, if it's based on the platform, I'm all good with it. But if they're trying to put a, like a square peg in a round hole, I'm not a big fan of it. It's like, dude, it's, it's a Glock. Um, shoot a nine.
0: Yeah, because why okay. not? <laughs> yeah. It was made to run that way, man. It's like they were uh, a match made in uh, uh Oh, it's almost Austria. like they were
1: designed that way. <laughs> Funny how that works,
0: <laughs> isn't it? That's a whole nother topic, man. See, that's what we do. We, we start addressing a topic and then we get gun nerdy. And the next thing you know, it's like, that's like four other topics. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, well, I appreciate it, Hanny. And, uh,
1: anytime, sir. Always a pleasure.
0: I will look forward to your retort on the, uh, impending shotgun episode.
1: Yeah. I will listen to that because I've been a shotgun fan of my entire life. And uh, uh, I think they are uh, underrated and underused.
0: All right. Thanks, Hanny. Man, that was a lot to unpack. I say that at the end of most of the shows, because if you haven't caught on by now, most of the guests that I have are are just total gun nerds like me. And I I use the word gun gun nerd as a uh, term of endearment. All right. If you haven't already, check out our title sponsor, Excess Sites. And of course, CCW Safe, enter off duty tenant checkout, get you 10% off your membership. EDC Belt Co. at edcbeltco.com. Guardian Conference. And be sure to sign up for the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway. The link is in the show notes. You got to sign up weekly. Next week's giveaway is a cleaning kit. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast iTunes, which is, you know, normally the one I share on social media, Google play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts, anywhere you like to listen to podcasts, we're, we're on that platform. And please, if you, if you have the time, leave us a review in the, in the, uh, you know, whatever platform you listen to that helps us out the off duty on duty Podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.